If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, I hope you'll make your way over to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we're going to pick up in chapter 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's where we're heading. Tell you what, as you make your way there, let me just pray once again. I sense the need to do that. Father, I do thank you again for this morning that you've given us, and you do give us life and breath and all things. And Lord, I just pray as, as we open your word, we begin to meditate on it, linger in it. Lord, I pray that, that you would speak, Lord, by your spirit, through your word, that you would, Lord, feed your sheep. And Father, I pray that I not muddy the waters or trample the grass. Lord, I pray that you'd give clarity. Lord, let us linger where we're supposed to this morning. Give us balance. I pray that I not err in proclaiming this. Father, we love you and we need you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so over these past several weeks, we've been starting to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians, this letter written by Paul to the church at Corinth. And we saw really last week and the week before uh, as well, Paul beginning to distinguish between what is godly wisdom or timeless wisdom and, and what is worldly wisdom or wisdom of the flesh. And, and he's, he's distinguishing between those two and, and he's not doing it in such a way just that they might have extra knowledge, that this church would just simply know the distinctions between the two, but rather Paul's very practical. And so what he's getting ready to do here in chapter 3 as we move into this is he's going to bring it down to the ground level and he's... He's redefined, if you will, wisdom, spirituality for this church so that when he says what he says in chapter 3, they understand. They, they, they've got it all clear. He, he's made this clear so they can see and understand there's no miscommunication here because in their minds, they were spiritual. They thought they were doing really well. And what Paul's going to say in just a moment is, you're not spiritual. And what he's done is unpacked over the previous chapter that this is why. So he's redefined wisdom, he's defined what spirituality really is, and now he's going to begin to lay this out before these believers to help get them back on track. Remember, that that's his goal. He wants them to, in a sense, get out of one ditch here and get back on the road and the path of obedience, okay? And he's going to say some things. What I love about Paul is he puts up some guardrails to keep them from going off into the ditch on the other side, okay? So let's go ahead. I want to read the text. This is chapter 3, picking up in verse 1. And Lord willing, we're going to go through verse 15 this morning. We'll see how that goes. And uh, read with me. Jed, go back down, please. Thank you. Picking up in verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as the men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. But since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul, servants through whom you believed? Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will, be, will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward." If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Father, I thank you again for your word. I pray that you would do what only you can do this morning, Lord. You give eyes to see and ears to hear, heart to understand and obey. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin here in chapter 3, we see Paul making this address. He's taking this to a point of application for these Corinthian believers, for this church. He says, And I, brethren, I, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now, he had talked about previously in chapter 2 the reality of the spiritual man in contrast to the natural man and how the natural man can't comprehend the things of the Spirit because he doesn't have the Spirit. He doesn't have the mind of Christ. He's unable to have spiritual judgment, spiritual assessments. And what he's saying to this church is, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual because you're not judging things spiritually. But rather, you're, you're thinking according to the flesh. But as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now, I, I want to make two observations from just verse 1 here that I think are here on the surface level. We could certainly do more, but the first is this. There are a lot of believers, genuine, authentic, real believers that are present within the church of Christ that operate according to the flesh. They don't have the mind of Christ. They're real, they're authentic, they're genuine believers. That, Paul's convinced of this. Because he says in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. He's convinced. He's writing to believers. Even so, there are some within this church that are, are carnal. They're of the flesh. They're, they're not thinking, processing. They're not using the mind of Christ. They're not thinking in that way. And, and church, I, I really believe and I'm speaking from a North American context here because that's where I just came from. I don't know specifically here just yet, but I would assume. But I think this is in part why so many of our churches today are powerless. They're, they're, 
they're not in touch with the Spirit of God. They're devoid of the presence of God. Because every decision they make, everything they do, is not processed through the mind of Christ, but rather it's, it's fleshly. They're trying to do it all on their own. I think there's far too many churches that operate that way today. Now, don't mishear me. There, there are still, he's convinced these are believers. I know, and Scripture tells us of other situations, there, there are churches and there are people within the church that really aren't regenerate. They're not true believers. And they claim to be. John says it this way. He says they went out from us because they were not of us. So, so there are those that claim Christ that aren't. But that's not who he's talking to here. He's talking to those within the church that are operating according to the flesh. Now, another observation here as we look at this. What we also see here is the reality of sanctification in the life of a believer. When this church was born, they weren't born as mature believers. Notice he says, infants in Christ. When, when we experience the, the new birth, when you're born spiritually, when you receive life, as Philippi talked about earlier, we, we don't start being totally mature. We, we are born as spiritual infants, and then the expectation is that we grow, Right? We take milk, we take what we can receive, and the expectation is that we grow. That, look at verse 2. He says, yet I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. He's, he's not condemning them for drinking milk to start with. That's the expectation. I've got three kids, and uh, when each of them were three, four months old when they were young, all they had was milk, and that was expected. If I put a piece of steak in front of them, it's not going to do any good. They might gum on it for a little bit, but it's not going to do them any good, right? It's not helpful. It's probably hurtful. But notice what he says. For you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. That's the problem. This is the problem at Corinth. This church that was born as spiritual babes, that's expected. The expectation is that they're going to grow in wisdom and stature and they're going to increase in faith and, and begin to get some spiritual molars and teeth so they can digest further things. And the problem is Paul's writing back and he's saying, you haven't matured at all. You're, you're still drinking milk. If, if my seven-year-old is solely drinking milk and that's it, and he's not able to drink anything else, what would we say? Well, there's something going on there. there there's something that needs to be checked out. That, that's, not, that's not where he should be at this point. And so that's what Paul's saying here says, you're still not able to receive it. You should be. Now, notice what he says. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? So that, that's his statement towards them. How does he make that assessment? How does he assess that they're not spiritual, that they are indeed fleshly? because of jealousy and strife that's present. There, there's tension, there's factions, there's bickering. In fact, if, if we think over, this is, I think, a helpful text for us, over in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writing there, and we know this text primarily for the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all those things. 
But if we back up just a little bit in that text, in Galatians chapter 5, we also see Paul list out the fruit of the flesh, or the deeds of the flesh. He says this in verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. That sounds a little bit like the Corinthians. These actions, these ways of life are consistent with the flesh, not with the spiritual. And he's saying, remember, he's, he's got first-hand reports of their life, how they're living. He's saying, I, I see this in you. I see this jealousy and this strife, and this is, this is fruit of the flesh. This is deeds of the flesh, not of the Spirit, church. And then he goes back, he circles back, because evidently this is one of the main sources of all of this tension that's happening in the, the church in Corinth, something that he addressed in chapter 1. He goes back and says, for one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. These factions that had, had formed around particular leaders within the church, some people saying, I'm following Paul, I'm following Apollos, I got this guy, this is my patron saint, this is who I'm going after, and with hopes that it would build up their, their prowess, who they are, their esteem. He's saying, you're, you're like mere men. That's consistent with the flesh, not with the spiritual. So what Paul does next, look at verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? He, he's going to give them some clarity here. Because the Corinthians had put these leaders up on a pedestal. Apollos, Paul, probably many others, unnamed individuals. And he's saying that they're just servants. He's trying to write their relationship, the perspective, the view they have of their leaders. They're, they're just servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Here's the thing. Even Paul in his ministry, he, he didn't come and do that on his own to plant the church in Corinth. No, God gave that opportunity to him, and he's walking in obedience to that commission. Remember, Paul was against the church. He was bent on destroying the church and God literally knocked him off his horse and commissioned him into the gospel ministry towards the Gentiles. So you can't say, well, it's Paul and, and his mission. No, God gave him that. He gave him the opportunity. Now, as we get in, I'm going to zoom out for just a second. We, we get into really the rest of the text for this morning, 6 through 15. And Paul's going to use a couple of couple analogies here. One is agricultural and the other is construction oriented. And what he's going to do, he's going to use that to help clarify once again the, the position of, the right perspective of leaders in the life of this church. Something that's become so divisive for them. In a very real way, he's going to establish the proper amount of esteem the proper amount of appreciation towards these leaders without putting them up on a pedestal and making them idols, okay? So he's trying to work that balance. And as I said, Paul does a good job of getting us out of one ditch and keeping us from going in the other, okay? He's going to balance that out. Notice what he says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. 
I, I mentioned with the kiddos that, that I grew up on a farm and uh, I used to have pumpkin pie for breakfast and that's probably not the best thing, but if your great grandmother gives it to you, that's what you do. That's beside the point. Anyways, um, I remember us having a garden as long as I've been alive. My grandfather would plant it and it was so big and you could probably feed part of the community with it and it got smaller as I got older and as he got older. And uh, even today, my parents plant a garden and there's usually a lot more than what, what we need and, and so some of that goes to the community, whatever. But this year we, we had sold our house and looking to come here and our house sold very quickly in like three days. God just did that. And so we had to move in with my parents for a little while in transition. And so we're back out on the farm. And uh, we had the opportunity to, to plant some stuff. It was the right time of year to do that. And so our boys wanted to plant some carrots and some radishes. They eat carrots. I'm pretty sure they don't eat radishes. So I don't know why they wanted to plant those, but they did. And so we, we planted those. The, the kids, they put them out. And uh, we actually, we have a, a big garden, but then we had these planters on the back porch that would just be easy for the kids to go out and tend, right? And so uh, they do that, they planted, and Jed took it upon himself to go and water uh, the carrots and the radishes all the time. He did that really well, did it faithfully. And before we left, though things had not come to maturity to the place of harvest, the carrots had like the tops like this. I mean, they were growing like crazy. I mean, it was just wild how many carrots we had. And so um, when, when we consider that, the boys had planted these seeds. That needed to happen. You don't get produce unless somebody puts a seed in the ground, right? That, that's an indispensable function, role. That, that has to happen. In order for there to be growth, there's got to be a seed get put in the ground. Same with watering. Somebody's got to come along and put water on that seed for it to germinate and for it to grow and cause produce. That's a, an indispensable function. It has to happen. God has ordained that produce comes about through planting and watering, right? But here's the thing. They, they grew some carrots really well, but the radishes didn't make. There, there were two pots on the back porch. One is overflown with carrots, the other with nothing but dirt and, and decomposed uh, radish seeds, I guess, because there was no evidence of them. But they did the same thing. They planted, they watered, they did all this, right? So shouldn't there be radishes? Well, no. The thing is, the planter, the water, they are not ultimate. They have an indispensable role, a function that has to happen in order for growth to happen. But they in and of themselves do not cause it. And so it is with, with pastors, ministers, leaders within the church. Paul, Apollos, those who plant a church, those who water it, who faithfully teach and preach and do all of these things. It, it's an indispensable role that God has ordained for the life of His church. We go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and we see that apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastor teachers, they're gifts from God to His church to help grow it to maturity. But at the end of the day, they are not ultimate. God does that. I can't grow a church. And as your pastor, I just want to say that's a, a great relief to me. It, it's not up to me to do that. God does that. He brings the growth. Now, are we to be faithful waters and stewards? Absolutely. Faithful planters? Absolutely. But we have to see we're not ultimate. God does this. 
Notice how Paul balances this out. He says, so, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. So once again, it's not all contingent on them. But he balances it out by saying, he who plants, he who waters are one. And each will receive a reward according to his own labor. So the work is valuable. In fact, they're fellow workers with God. You are God's field, God's building. Now, let me, let me just say this before we shift to the next analogy. Our, if you're from North America, or you're from the U.S., like me, I think our tendency is to read Scripture through a very individualized perspective. And so when we read this, we say, oh, I'm God's building. Like me, personally. And in a sense, that's true. But what he's saying here is he's speaking to this entire church body, the entire church at Corinth. You're God's field. You're God's building. And these laborers in this field are God-ordained for a certain task, and God is going to pour out blessing and growth, and He's going to do that in His field. But, but He's looking at a greater, more corporate perspective here. Not just the individual. But the church is God's building. Calvary, you're God's building. You're God's field. And He's ordained some that would come and work and labor. And this isn't in my notes, but I trust the Lord just brought my mind here, so I'm, I'm going to run with it. The church at Corinth was really bad about saying, well, this is my leader, this is your leader, this is so-and-so. And they would brag on one another in that way. And think about this. I, I don't know what you call this. I know I call it a water hose. All right? Water hose, a garden hose, a hose pipe. Any other suggestions on that? You know what I'm talking about, the long rubber thing that conveys water, you know. There's like a thousand names for it. I know they have them here. I've seen them. It, it is silly how the church at Corinth is fighting these factions that have divided the church because in reality, what it is that they're saying is it's like saying my, my hose pipe that's 75 feet is better than your hose pipe that's 50 or my hose pipe that's green is better than yours that's red. Because all these ministers, these gifts, these leaders, what they are is a, a channel and avenue by which the blessing of God, the, the, the water of God, the living water flows to His church. And are we thankful for hose pipes to get water to places? Yeah, we should be. But we don't walk around saying my hose pipe's better than yours. Right? But that's what they're doing. Church, we ought not be that way. Our focus ought to be on the living water that's coming forth, not on the vessel that's carrying it. Now, as he shifts gears here, look with me. I've got to get moving or we're going to run out of time here. Verse 10. He's going to shift gears and go towards his building analogy. He says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid the foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds. Now, certainly there's an aspect here that he's speaking to every believer. But I think in particular, Paul here has in mind those who are pastors, elders, leaders, those who have some uh, a semblance of authority within the local body. Those who, because remember, he's talking about the church corporately as a building here. And what we know about any church 
If it is a church indeed, it has Jesus as the foundation. That's what he says. If it doesn't have Jesus as the foundation, it's not a church. It might be a moral club, might be about social values and this, that, and the other. If it doesn't have Jesus as the foundation, it is not a church, whatever you want to call it. But you have a church that's built on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then as Paul describes this here, he says he's like a wise master builder, laying a foundation and others building on top. So evidently Apollos, who came after him, he's laying more building blocks, building on top of this foundation, building this church, seeing it grow. And Paul says, look at this exhortation, each man must be careful how he builds. Be careful how you build. What does he mean by that? What does he mean, be careful how you build a church, how it grows, how, how those in leadership make decisions? How, how, what do you mean by that, Paul? Look what he says next. If any man builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. Now the day he's talking about is the day of the Lord's return. In that day, it's all going to be revealed. You might get glimpses of it beforehand, but you'll know the quality of the work on that day for certain. Because what was less in quality will be burned up. What was greater in quality will be sustained. Now, now look, look what he says. I, I don't want to draw too much out of the building material here, the gold, silver, precious stones. But I do think there's a distinction here. Because as he talks about gold, silver, precious stones, those things are, maybe the best way to say this, non-combustible, right? It, it, you can, if you have a gold ring, you can put a match or a, a lighter under it. It's not going to erupt in flames, okay? You, you do that with wood or hay or straw, it's going to burn, right? It's not going to last. I mean, we, we had a neighbor this past year that he put up wet hay. And wet hay, it puts off heat. And you put heat with hay, and it erupts in flames, and his whole barn burnt down, right? And, and so what Paul's saying here is, be careful how you build. There are ways in which you can build a church that you can intentionally labor in timeless materials, in, in wise ways that are not fleeting. And there are ways that evidently you can labor in a church, you can put forth effort, you can do this and that, have diff different programs, whatever it may be. But you can do it in a way that's fleeting, that's not going to last, that's not sustaining. So we need wisdom on that. How do we build? How, how do we labor? Here, here's the thing. Look what he says, and let me tie this together. Verse 14 and 15. He says, If any man's work which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. And if man's work is burned up, it will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So evidently, it's not an issue of salvation here, okay? Your work, your labor can be burned up and you still be saved. But... Church, I, I want my labor to not be in vain. I'm sure that's true for all of us. We, we don't want to work and then at the end of the day sit down and say, well, that was all for nothing. That was all in vain. 
There are ways that we can pour into the life of a church that, that we can build in such a way that it is not lasting. On that final day, when the Lord returns, when all things are revealed, when the quality of the work is revealed, what we're going to find out is that there are some churches that have been built in such a way that their ministry, their life, had very little eternal impact on the kingdom of God. And there's going to be other churches that live and operate in such a way that they had a tremendous impact on the kingdom of God. So what's it going to be for us? Are we going to labor in such a way that when it's all over and done with the quality of our work will show that it was good, it was right, that it wasn't in vain? Church, that's my desire for us, that we not labor in vain. Tell you what, I want to... um, we're going to transition here in just a second. And uh, we're going to have a time of communion. We do that the first Sunday of every month. But before we do that, let me just ask these questions. D- during the time of communion, we're going to have a, a time of examination where we examine our hearts. That's, that's a big point for communion is that we examine ourselves. It's an opportunity by which for us to do so. And so I want us to ask ourselves a couple questions. One is this. Are we... Do we have... How do I say this? Do we have right expectations for our church leadership as far as what they can and cannot provide? What they can and cannot do? What's our expectation? Is it a right expectation? Or are we putting too much weight on that individual to provide growth or sustenance? When at the end of the day, we know that God is the one who's going to have to give growth. What's our expectation? Is it right? And then secondly, this. Because there is this exhortation of building properly, rightly, being wise in how we build. I want you to pray for me as your pastor. I want you to pray for your deacons, those in leadership, that, that we might be mindful, that we would be spiritual in our, our thinking, in our instruction, in our judgment, that we not operate in the mind of the flesh, but rather we operate in the mind of Christ. So that any labor that, that, we, that we do would not be in vain. It would not be burned up, but it would be seen as lasting. So I want you to pray for that for us. I want you to pray for that for yourself even, how you live. Are you living in such a way that what you do is going to be burned up in the end, or is it going to be lasting for the kingdom? I want us to consider those things. Our uh, worship team is going to come up. We are going to enter into a time of communion here in just a second, but I want to ask the guys to come on up if they would. And let me read this text. We're not going very far. Just a little further over into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul talks a lot about communion because sadly the church at Corinth, they weren't doing that right either. They had a lot of struggles. 
But Paul says this as he's writing to them. He says in verse 27 of chapter 11, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It's an opportunity for us in just a moment as we enter into a time of communion to examine our hearts, see where we're at, even ask the Lord, say, Lord, reveal some things in my heart that maybe I don't see. Maybe, I, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm blind to it, and I need you to show this. Show what's going on in my heart. I want us to be faithful to do that, all right? Let me, uh, let me pray. And uh, the, the folks that, that are going to hand out communion are going to make their way up here in just a moment. The, the guys are going to begin to play for just a moment. But I just want you to take a, a, a moment or two here on the front end of this. And begin to check your heart, okay? Begin to do that. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll begin with communion here in a second. Father, again, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, for communion. The opportunity to examine ourselves. And I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would pierce pierce our hearts and do it in such a way that, Lord, it, it's not in a, in a way to pierce to kill, but rather as a surgeon would use a scalpel to remove what is dangerous and harmful. Lord, I pray that you might do that work this morning in us. Lord, by your word, through your spirit. Lord, let us be real with ourselves and examine ourselves carefully. Lord, we love you and we need you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.